but it's good to be together this morning. Amen? Happy Labor Day to everyone. This is kind of the last hurrah, the last week before we get back into the fall routine. Uh, I remember as a kid, I always hated this time. Like, Labor Day was the worst. Like, you would enjoy a good barbecue, but you know, man, we're back in school tomorrow. Uh, I hope some of you... uh, don't have that same posture, but you're going back to school excited uh, for what the year ahead looks like. Uh, we are excited as a church. Uh, it's been amazing over this, this past summer uh, to see so many new faces in this place. And while I know a lot of you travel uh, during the summer, there's a lot of new families. And so I'm excited. I don't know what September is going to look like, but you're going to have to get here early on a Sunday morning to get the seat you want. That's all I know uh, as we're coming back into the fall. Well, praise God. I want to invite you to stand with me. Would you do that one more time uh, for the reading of our text? We sang a lot of songs today that talked about how, how Jesus is that foundation. Amen. And so we're thankful for his word. We honor the word of God in this way. When we look at God's word, I'm thankful that it is unchanging. And so there are some statements we're going to read today in Romans chapter 8 that are very clear declarations. They're not what ifs, they're not if maybes. Uh, They're very clear what Paul was saying here. And so Romans 8, beginning there in verse 8, Scripture says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, listen to this, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. May God bless the reading of his word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. We thank you. Lord, for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, in this text for this call to live as you've created us to live, not according to the flesh, but by your spirit. And so we thank you this morning for your presence. Lord God, we thank you for your presence, not just in this room, but for your indwelling presence in our lives that changes us. Lord, we thank you for the promise that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. We recognize this morning, Lord Jesus, that Lord, our salvation is is a work that you've done in us. And Lord God, our sanctification continues to be that work. And so we surrender today to your Holy Spirit. We say, would you lead us and would you guide us? Lord, we don't want to walk out of here the same way we came in. And so we thank you for your word. And we pray in this moment it would do something that would change us, that would mark us, that it would change the way that we live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Well, You don't have a note sheet this morning, but I hope you brought your Bible, and I want to encourage you as we go through the text today uh, to write down some ideas that stand out to you. Next week, uh, the week of the 10th, we're going to start up our community groups again, and so on a regular basis, we'll have uh, discussion questions for you to engage with. Um, But last week, in in the first verse of this great chapter, chapter 8, Paul made this statement, right, that there is no condemnation for those who are 
in Christ Jesus. And so we talked last week about how when we come to Christ, when we're found in him, that doesn't change our status from guilty to less guilty, okay? The, the declaration by the Apostle Paul is not less condemnation, it is no condemnation, right? But it's only for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we talked some last week about what it means to be in Christ, and really it means that we see all that we have is of him and by him and through him. And so we put on Christ, and we, we walk in the Spirit. We remain in him, and he remains in us, and because of that union with Christ, our lives bear much fruit. Very simply, to be in Christ means you've identified with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And, and once that takes place, you are baptized, right? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ but haven't taken that step of baptism, I hope Aaron encouraged you in the announcement video this morning, but we have an answer for you. Okay, if you haven't been baptized yet, we have a baptism class right after the service in these first couple rows. Just come and learn about what baptism means and, and take that step. You see, I don't believe that baptism is an optional extra in the Christian life, okay? Again, it is an identification with Jesus himself. It's an identification with his death, burial, and resurrection, but it's also an identification with him in the fact that we've been raised to newness of life, amen? And so because of that fact, we're not under condemnation. We do not live under condemnation. So we began to talk last week about what it means to live the life of the Spirit, right? Verse 8 is where we left off last week. We read it again this morning. Uh, I think it's a very uh, important connector in the text. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, why is that the case? Well, verse 7 explained that those who are living by the flesh can't submit to God's law, right? And if you're simply living your life by the flesh and you're not empowered by the Spirit of God, you cannot submit to God's law and therefore you cannot please God. That's a really good way to sum up chapter 7. And so Paul's kind of repeating this idea in another way, and he's basically saying, if your life is simply of the flesh, meaning it's just of your physical being or your, your sinful nature, there is absolutely no way that you can please God. We are a, a sinful, fallen nature, right? And so trying to please God in the flesh is an exercise in futility. It's an impossibility. Now, while that sounds like bad news, don't miss the good news there of verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. That's the good news, isn't it? If. It's impossible to please God in the flesh, but here's the good news. You're not in the flesh if, okay, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. You are in the spirit. Listen to this. You're in the spirit if the spirit's in you. Okay, don't miss what he says next. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ, what does it say? Does not belong to him. There's a lot of statements in Scripture that are very clear, right? Black and white. This is one of those, right? And basically what Paul is saying is that if you are indwelled by the Spirit of God and you live in that Spirit or, or you live in the flesh and you don't belong to Christ. John 14, 7, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Look, listen to what he says. He says, you know him for he dwells within you and he will be with you. What a powerful statement. He's saying to the disciples, you know the Holy Spirit because he dwells inside of you. That means that every believer, understand this, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Absolutely every believer has the Holy Spirit. We, we cannot in the Christian community uh, divide Christians into spirit-filled and non-spirit-filled. Are you with me today? 
Because the non-spirit filled would really be spirit empty. And again, Paul says, if you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to him, meaning you're not actually a believer. Now, here's where we can get mixed up because uh, some believe that the Bible teaches that salvation is one experience and then the indwelling of the spirit is another experience. But according, according to the word of God, that's not really the case. When you come to him, when you surrender your life to Christ, understand the Holy Spirit moves in right away, okay? He doesn't take his time, let me wait till he's ready. The Holy Spirit moves in right away, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Now, you may at a later time surrender a greater part of your life and therefore see an infilling of the Holy Spirit that you've never seen before, right? You might receive a greater sense of, of his presence in your life, and you might receive a greater sense of his power to help you, um, and that's what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, but you can be baptized by the Spirit, meaning you are immersed in the Spirit. Are you with me today? But, but the promise is this, that you and I are indwelt by the Holy Spirit the very moment that we are justified by faith. Therefore, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. In the book of Jude, Jude writes about those who cause division in the church, and he says this about them. He calls them worldly people, and he makes this distinction. He says they are devoid, or in other words, they are without the Holy Spirit, right? And, and so I hope this morning that you can say, I belong to Christ, and I am indwelt by his Holy Spirit, amen? Because here's the reality. It's that Holy Spirit that gives us the power to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And so as we continue to talk about the life of the Spirit, let me say a few things about the Holy Spirit, okay? Number one, understand this. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it, okay? When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about what he does, okay? Not what it does. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's not merely a force for you Star Wars fans. It's not like that, okay? He is a person and he is very active in our salvation. He is the one who draws us to Christ. He's the one who opens our eyes to see our need for Christ and to reveal who he is. And then his work continues in our life in the area of sanctification. We talk about the work of justification. We understand how we are made right positionally, right? The, the moment that we place our faith in the finished work of the cross, we are seen as righteous by God himself. But when we talk about the process of sanctification, we're talking about more than just a positional righteousness. Instead, we're talking about a change that takes place in our lives, a, a transformation in the way that we live. That transformation is the work of the Spirit, and it is ultimately what is pleasing to God. Again, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this is challenging for us, I think, because we've probably all known people who are not believers who've made some changes in their life and changes for the better, right? But we need to make a distinction here between behavioral modification and spiritual transformation, okay? Because if you find yourself in a place where you're addicted, maybe addicted to drugs or alcohol, and that addiction begins to destroy your life, and you're close to maybe losing your job or losing your spouse, maybe both, and you might say, you know what, I, I love my spouse, I don't want to lose my job, I, I don't want to live on the street, and so I'm going to get the help that I need to get over that addiction. But if it's only to move on to something else that you want more, understand that's a work of the flesh. Because your flesh is saying, as much as I desire this, there's something I desire more, right? I want to stay married, I want to stay employed, and so you simply obey the thing that is more important or more meaningful in your life but in reality, you're simply pursuing another fleshly desire. 
And can I just say that is far different than what Paul is talking about in this passage here when he talks about putting to death, okay, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. The life of the Spirit means that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, get this, he now lives within you, right? And that doesn't simply mean that you don't have to live like a person who's addicted to drugs or alcohol. It's much more than that. You don't have to live like a person that is addicted to their, their strongest fleshly desire, okay? That's why there's a difference between behavior modification and spiritual transformation. And the difference is this, it is the power of the Spirit of God. And so Paul says anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, does not belong to Christ. Now, how do you know if you have the spirit of Christ, right? Because that's a powerful statement. If Paul's saying if you don't have the spirit, you don't belong to God. So you should ask this question, well, how do I know if I have the spirit, right? How do I know if the spirit of God lives in me? A couple questions to consider, a couple things to consider. Number one, has the Holy Spirit led you to Jesus? Number two, has the Holy Spirit given you now a desire to serve Jesus, right? Number three, is the Spirit leading you towards sanctification, meaning he's cleansing you, he's, he's changing you, he's shaping you. Number four, is the Spirit changing your heart and changing your desires? Now, if you can say yes to those things, it's a pretty good indicator that you, in fact, have the Spirit of Christ at work in your life. And guess what? That means that you belong to him. Now, now look at verse 10. But if Christ is in you, okay, so if the Spirit of God indwells within you, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The very presence of the Spirit in you means that Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is also known as the Spirit of Christ, amen? And because Christ lives in us, the old man, the old nature is dead to sin, and in its place, the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit reigns in us. Not only are you in Christ, like we talked about last week in verse one, understand this, he is also in you. And the Holy Spirit cannot abide in a sinful home. That's why the old man had to die, right? That's why the old man had to move out when Christ moved in. Now, now, what does that mean? It means that your body, your flesh, is no longer your master. It means your old nature no longer enslaves you with its desires. Your body is no longer an instrument of sin that would lead to death. It is now an instrument of righteousness. The old nature is dead and the new nature now becomes your life. And that life desires to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And so as we live by the Spirit, we are moment by moment yielding to the life of Christ. And can I just say, when you live like that, you will be amazed at the opportunities you have before you. You will be amazed at the things that he does in your life, but also the things that he does through your life, right? You're not gonna live your life full of pride because you'll realize, man, I can't take credit for any of this, right? It is all a work of Christ in my life. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and and the new has come. And so the life of the spirit that that we're looking at here, I want you to understand, it, it is far different than just existing. It's far different than just breathing and having your heart beat. It is a whole new quality of being. Jesus is life, and life is Jesus. And so you get to live in a relationship with your creator. Rather than than serving your own desires, just your own fleshly desires, you begin to serve his purposes. Look at verse 11. If, again, this is a 
conditional statement, right? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also. In other words, here's what he's also going to do. He will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. Think about that for a moment. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, and that spirit gives life to your mortal body. If the, the, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus lives in our earthly bodies, hear me, church, we will have newness of life. And I'm not just talking about one day when we're raised to eternal life. It means right here and right now, our physical being is empowered by God's spirit to submit to his leading. That means our, our minds begin to function in a different way, right? We begin to, to think in a different way. At times when, when God calls us to serve and we're exhausted and we, we feel like we're at the end of ourselves. You ever been there before? And you pray and you say, God, give me strength all of a sudden and you will feel the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so we can tell our bodies even to submit to the spirit of life that is at work in us. And as difficult, hear me, as difficult as it may be to overcome some, some old habits in your life, maybe you're still battling some things, uh, this verse is telling us that we are empowered by the spirit of God to obey God right? We, we have the life of the Spirit, again, that raised Jesus from the dead living in us. Just think about that power right now. If the Spirit of God can, can raise a lifeless corpse, then certainly he can give new life to, of the Spirit to your living physical body. And so verse 12, so then, or therefore, in other words, because of this, brothers, be, because of this fact, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We are debtors. You and I owe a debt. If you take financial peace, Dave Ramsey's gonna tell you debt is dumb, right? But all of us, we have a debt. All of us have a debt. That, that debt is not to our flesh. Why? Because the flesh never gave us anything good. <laughs> you and I, we don't have an obligation to our flesh. Our obligation, our debt is to the Lord Jesus Christ and not to our flesh. And so you don't owe your old sinful nature anything. You don't need to, again, submit to the demands of your flesh. And if we understand that the wages of sin is death, then we know that if we continue to yield to the old nature, it's only going to lead us away from God. It's only going to lead us away from Christ. It's only going to lead us away from life. That's what Paul says here in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. See that? It's, it's as clear as can be. Oh, I, I know one day, unless Jesus comes back, we're, we're all going to die. But for those who live by the flesh, they will die a second death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, here's the promise. You will live. You will live. And so our real obligation is to live in this newness of life that comes out of our union with Christ. In, in order to do that, we put to death the, the misdeeds of the body. We put to death the natural inclinations of the body. Now, the world will tell you that if you do that, you will live a, a frustrated, unfulfilled life. The world will tell you that in order to experience uh, the full life, you need to self-actualize. In other words, you need to pursue each and every desire. All your desires, chase after those things. But the word of God tells us exactly the opposite. And can I just say, only one of those things can be true? Which one are you standing on today? Don't miss what Paul is saying here. He's saying there's only one way to put to death the misdeeds of the body. If you are not empowered by the Spirit of God, you cannot put to death the deeds of the body. 
You see, that's the problem with people when they say, you know what, I'm gonna clean myself up first and then I'm gonna come to Christ. I'm gonna get my act together and then I'm gonna come to church. Then I'm gonna surrender to Christ. Listen, in the flesh you can't put to death the deeds, right? And, and so you come to Christ, you allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence in you and he continues to do the work that he started. He's the one that changes us. He's the one that, that sanctifies us. And, and so each and every one of us this morning, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see it once again in Paul's letter that, that life and, and death are presented to us. What options, right? Life and death. And life comes, hear me, when we yield to the Spirit of God. That's how you receive life. Now, if you desire death for, for some strange reason, if you desire death, all you have to do is let the old nature do whatever it pleases. All you have to do is just follow those fleshly desires, and that's the end that they will take you to. It's only by the Spirit of God living in you, though, that you can know life. So think about it this morning. Do you know life? Do you have a, a desire to live in a way that you would please God and that you would be in relationship with him? That's what was God's intention from the very beginning, right? When he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He enjoyed fellowship with them. Everything was perfect in the garden until temptation came, and then Eve was deceived into thinking that she was somehow missing out on something, that God was somehow holding out on her, and so Satan promised her fulfillment, but in the end, that only led to death and separation from God. And so Paul was telling us here that God has provided a means of restoration to that garden relationship. He, he sent his son to take the punishment that you and I deserve and now we can be actual vessels of the Holy Spirit and by that spirit we can live in a way that is pleasing to God. Again, by his spirit we can put to death the misdeeds of the body and now we can walk with him. And, and the relationship that Adam lost can be restored to you and I. You know, a lot of people say it very often, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, and, and you know, I understand what's being said there. And in one sense, that's very true, because religion says if I do this and I, I don't do that, then I can be right with God. But Christianity, the good news of the gospel, tells us that because of what Jesus did, right, because of what he already did, we are right with God. And now, we can be in a relationship with him. The Holy Spirit comes in and transforms our lives, and the Holy Spirit leads us. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, what does it say, are, are sons of God. We sing that song, and we used to sing it a lot, I am a friend of God. <laughs> Understand, it's better than that. <laughs> you're not just a friend of God, you're a son of God, a child of God, right? Every one of us in this place we are led either by our old fallen nature that we received from Adam, or we are led by the Spirit of God which we've received from God. It's very clear, right? It's only fitting, hear me, that the sons of God would be led by the Spirit of God. We become his children first, and then his Spirit leads us. Now, look at what Paul doesn't say here, okay? He doesn't say all who go to church are sons of God. He doesn't say all who read the Bible are sons of God. He doesn't even say, it's Communion Sunday, he doesn't say all who take communion are sons of God. The test of sonship comes down to one thing, one thing, whether or not we are led by the Spirit of God. Are you led by the Holy Spirit today? Now, how does he lead us? Well, he leads us by giving us guidance. He leads us by, by drawing us to what is right. We are only led, though, as we cooperate with his leading. 
I love what Charles Spurgeon says of this text. He says, it does not say as many as are driven by the Spirit of God. No, the devil is a, a driver, and when he enters into men or into hogs, he drives them furiously. Remember how the whole herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. Wherever you see a man fanatical and wild, whatever spirit is in him is not the spirit of Christ. Wow. Saying there, the devil is a driver, but if we are children of God, then the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit leads us. He leads us, first of all, to repentance. He he leads us into a life where we begin to think little of ourselves and much of Jesus. He leads us to the truth of his word. He leads us to holiness. His desire is to lead us into a life where we are useful and and pleasing to God. And and so the message of Scripture is that life is really all about loving our creator, right? Yes, God does love us. Yes, God does have the best for us. His commands are ultimately leading us towards what is good. But even even when we rebel, even when we mess up and we go our own way, even when there's discipline that comes into our lives because of our actions, ultimately it all brings him glory because in reality it's all about him. And so the wonder and the joy of living this life is that he desires, get this, he desires to have a relationship with us. Those led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Are you his child today? Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Now, according to Acts chapter 2, the church in Rome received the spirit of God on the day of Pentecost, okay? And, And that was proof right away that they were God's children. His presence in your life today, can I just tell you, God's presence in your life today is proof that you are his child. And so living as a child means that you have this intimate, joyful relationship with God. This life that is given to you, it's nothing like the bondage and the fear that you knew when you were living under the law. The spirit at work in you is not the spirit that makes you slaves of the law of God. That spirit makes you afraid, fearful, right? I'm going to mess up and God's going to judge me. He's going to strike me down. No, that's not the spirit here. He says instead he's given you the spirit of adoption. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks ahead, but what is the spirit of adoption? It is God choosing you and calling you his own. In the first century Rome, an adopted son was a son who was deliberately chosen by an adoptive father. Maybe it was someone who had no heir, no offspring to to pass his inheritance on to, no one to to carry on the family name. And so he would go out and he would find someone and he would choose that individual and, and they would get that family name and they would inherit the estate. And because of this, an adopted son had the same status as a son born into a family. Under adoption in Rome, the life and the standing of the adopted child, it completely changed. Sure, he lost all of his rights to his old family, but he gained all these new rights in his new family, the old life of the adopted son was forgotten. His debts were canceled. Nothing from his past was counted against him simply because he was chosen and he was adopted as a son. What a beautiful picture of what happens when you and I are adopted into the family of God. Amen? Our our old life is forgotten. Our debts are canceled. Nothing from our past is counted against us. Praise God for that. Amen? It's, it's a new start, it's, it's a fresh start, and we now have this new relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
And it's based on this understanding that we have a heavenly father that we can cry out to. He's provided atonement for our sin. He will help us to overcome our weaknesses by the power of his spirit at work in us. And so our commitment is to Jesus now. It's not trying to fulfill the law, right? Because we've been adopted. This doctrine of adoption is simply amazing. Instead of being enemies of God, we've now received the spirit of adoption as sons. Each and every one of us, we were born enemies of God. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were, we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were by nature children of wrath, but now we've been adopted as children of God. Maybe you've heard it said before that we are, oh, we are all children of God. You ever hear somebody say that? We're all children of God. We're all God's children. Well, that sounds good, but can I just say theologically that's not correct? We are not all God's children. Not everyone has that right. John 1 verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Don't miss that. He gives the right to become children of God. God doesn't need to give me the right to become something that all humans already are. Okay, that's universalism that says that everyone is, is a child of God. Everyone's on their way to heaven, regardless of what they believe. Again, we're not all God's children, but we were all at one point objects of God's wrath. We were enemies of God, but it's only those who come to him by faith, it's only those who come to him through repentance that now become children of God, that are adopted into the family. And this idea of adoption, it's not unique in Paul's letter to, the, to Rome. He also says in Galatians chapter four, verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There it is again, that word Abba. It's an Aramaic word that simply means daddy. <laughs> daddy. Look at that again. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and that spirit cries out. And the, the cry, you have to see this, it's both intimate and passionate. It's an intimate cry. We refer to God as daddy, father. We relate to God as a son relates to a father. And there is passion there. There, there ought to be emotion in that relationship. It's not one of formality. It's a, it's a real relationship. Can I just say, I hate formal relationships. I hate it when you're afraid, right? Kind of, what if I say the wrong thing? What is the person going to think about me, right? Listen, in, until somebody can show up at, at your house unannounced and you're not afraid of how dirty your house is, it's very formal, right? But when they can just knock on your door and just like, come on in, you know, you know, this is how we live, right? Right? But the relationship that the Spirit of God draws us into is one in which we can cry out intimately and passionately to God. We can see him for the father that he really is. And so while we may at times rightfully fear his discipline, we also, we also trust his provision. We, we know his love. We know his tender care. We know of his plans for us. You see, with dad, you, you don't worry if you're calling too late, right? <laughs> it's never too late to call. You can cry out to him. 
at any time, and you can know that he will come running with grace and mercy and love to meet us in our difficulty. He will come to help us to put to death the misdeeds of the body. He is the one who gives life to our mortal bodies. He, he speaks to our hearts, and he changes us, and he leads us by his spirit. He sets us free, ultimately, to live as we're meant to live in an intimate loving relationship with him. Would you stand with me this morning as the worship team comes? We're going to prepare our hearts just a moment to come to the communion table. But I want to say this. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're invited to this table as a son and a daughter. It's not a, it's not a very formal relationship where you've got to look the right way and act the right part. It's an intimate relationship. And so as you come to him this morning, as we receive in just a few moments the bread and the cup, we can recognize that's exactly what we need. We need his forgiveness. We we need his cleansing. We're invited this morning to the table as sons and daughters. Understand, that's your standing right now. If you're here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you're, you're not trusting the work of the cross, can I just say, I believe the Holy Spirit's brought you here for a reason. God's brought you here for a reason today. And, and if you sense the, the Spirit drawing you, I want to encourage you, just respond to Him. Maybe you're here today and you're walking through some things. You say, you know what, I'm going to get to church. I'm going to clean my life up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And then maybe, maybe God will accept me. Understand today that if you are in Christ, you're accepted because of what Christ has done for you. And when you come to him and you you confess that, Lord, I I try to do this my own way. I I stumble, I fall, I, I keep messing up, Lord. I need you. Just that simple act of faith and trusting in the work of the cross today, you can turn from trying to do things in your own strength. You can turn from going your own way and you can repent and turn to Jesus today and simply say, Lord Jesus, I trust in what you've already done for me. And the moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes and he'll take up residence within you. And the work doesn't finish there. He continues to change you and transform you. Heads bowed around the room maybe this morning. I I do think it's a good thing for us to examine ourselves before coming to the communion table. Again, if you're here and you've not placed your faith in the finished work of the cross, you can just simply say to the Lord right now, Lord, I receive what you've done for me. I place my faith and my trust in what you have done for me. And you can receive that forgiveness. You can receive that cleansing. Ask him. Ask him to just come and to fill your life, to begin to change you, that you would walk differently. But maybe you're here today and you've been serving the Lord for years, but you've been trusting in your flesh. You've been leaning on your flesh believe today that the call would be simply to say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Lord, I I surrender to your work in my life. Maybe there's an area that you're struggling with. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Yes, he does that. He forgives us because of the work of the cross. But hear me, he also cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to do that even right now. Before we, before we sing a song, you take a moment with Jesus. You do business with him. If you need to come to him for the first time, if you need to turn your heart back to him this morning, 
you could come to him as Abba, Daddy, Father. If you feel like you've gone too far, it's never too late to come back home. You can call on him today. He's faithful. He's just. Just take a moment. However you need to do business with the Lord, allow, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you right now. And you do business with him.